Good morning. How are you? Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Say amen, somebody. Amen. I'd like to thank the worship team. Every Sunday, without fail, they bring their A game, and they are a tremendous blessing to North Place Church. They have an incredible leader, and uh, they are... We're glad that uh, you're with us today. I'm Bear. I'm the worship pastor. We can experience pastor here at North Place. And Pastor Brian, has, uh, he's on vacation and he's in the Orlando area. And so uh, if you're watching, Pastor, um, stay tuned. And uh, so we'll, uh, uh, God has been good to us. Amen. Amen. And, um, you know, very few things scare me uh, in life. And, uh, uh, but on, from time to time, I do get scared occasionally. Um, and, you know, just because I don't like something doesn't mean I'm scared of something either. And, and there's, some, there's times whenever I, I just particularly don't like something, and there's times that I'm scared of something. Uh, death is one of those things that I, I don't like, and I'm scared of both. And, and so, uh, uh, particularly uh, animals. I, uh, I grew up uh, country. Um, I, I, I acknowledge that country exists. I don't embrace it in my life, but I acknowledge that that culture exists. And, and if you are country here, then I, I get it. I'm with you. Um, I grew up that way, um, uh, NFFA, uh, all that type of thing. And so um, uh, I had to walk into pastor's office to get his microphone. Um, this is a special microphone. I was uh, nervous about getting it anyway, simply because the anointing. But uh, um, on top of that, uh, I walked by the, the deer head that he had on his wall. And, and when you walk by that deer head, it's, it's the antlers that are, that are so domineering in your face. And and uh, I got through the deer head only to see the bear that was on his floor spread across there with its mouth open to eat me. And uh, <laughs> I'm scared of death from time to time, but uh, pray for me this morning. I managed to get through it, but I do have to put the microphone back uh, when I'm done. So um, God's good, amen? And uh, he's good uh, to his people and uh, uh, the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. So if you are going through uh, difficult times today, I want to encourage you, you have stepped into the right place. And if you are coasting through life and all seems well, I want to also encourage you, you've stepped into the right place. And uh, we continue our series uh, on animation on the movie Up today. How many have seen the movie Up? You've seen it? Uh, how many have not seen it? Raise your hand. You're in for a treat, uh, whether you've seen it or not seen it. I'm not a movie repeat watcher. Uh, there are a few movies that I will watch over and over again. Any of the Born Identities, I will watch over and over and over again. Um, but um, Up is one of those movies. Made for children, really adults. It's one of those movies when you watch it and you grasp the, the idea. And in my opinion, it is bar none one of the greatest love stories ever told. Today's message is about commitment and kept promises and finding fulfillment in life. A message about our relationship with God and our family and ourselves. Let me give you a snapshot of, of Carl's life. That was Carl and Ellie that you just saw there. Carl was a balloon salesman. Fell in love at a very young age, and then that young love matured and grew into a lifelong commitment. But the snapshot of Carl's life is just that. Life kicks in, just like it has for everybody here. How many are married? Raise your hand. All right. You understand what I'm saying, and you understand how this is so emotional when you watch this, because uh, it's a story of two people that find love, and the love never dies, but life kicks in. And all their dreams, their goals, their ambitions and hopes 
uh, all seemed to fade away simply because life kicked in. First it was an injury, then hospital bills, medical bills, then uh, something happens on the automobile, and then something happens on the house, and, and the finances begin to deplete, and, and all of a sudden our dreams and goals of Carl and Ellie and their life seems to fade away. That's the snapshot. In my opinion, up took you eight and a half minutes of the greatest love story ever told, what Twilight couldn't do in four books. And uh, <laughs> incredible. Thank you, up. If you have your Bible, turn with me to uh, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter number one, if you have your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, you'll see it on the screens uh, behind me, right in front of you. Uh, Just simply uh, read along with me. I'm going to give you a synopsis and a quick in-depth overview of Solomon. Uh, Solomon was the son of David. Uh, He was uh, the heir apparent and the king over Jerusalem uh, after David's death. And actually, right before David died, he handed over the reign to Solomon. Uh, Solomon lived to the age of 60. And at 20 years old, he took over as king over Jerusalem. Solomon was the wisest, richest, and most powerful man ever to have walked on the earth. Um, He was an incredible human being. And we pick up in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, verse number 1. And this is where we begin reading, right when Solomon is at his deathbed towards the end of his life. Again, the most knowledgeable, the most wealthy, and the most powerful man in his time. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do you do? What do people gain from their labors? At which they toil under the sun. And generations come and generations go. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. And hurries back to where it rises again. The wind blows to the south And it turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. And the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? No, it was already there long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Verse 12, I, the teacher, talking about Solomon, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens, What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. And what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ever ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and much knowledge. Side note for Solomon. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a lot of knowledge. Then I applied myself, verse 17, to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Snapshot of Carl's life is young love 
maturing into love, joys, sadness, life, death. That's the quick snapshot. We, we find Solomon, 60 years old, having reigned as king for 40 years. Snapshot of Solomon's life. Young. Apparently lots of love. Money, wealth, happiness, battles won, victories fought, sadness, end of his life, done. The first two chapters of Ecclesiastes are just like the first. Solomon has three things that he focuses on. One, nothing is changed. Two, nothing is new. And three, nothing is understood. I think that's a snapshot possibly of our lives as well. We wake up every single day, nothing has changed. Nothing is new and nothing is understood. Maybe as a spouse, you've said to yourself, wow, nothing has changed, nothing is new and I'm not understood. Maybe as a husband, as a father, as a mother, maybe as a brother or a family member, nothing is new, nothing has changed and nothing is understood. This is from the most knowledgeable man that ever walked the earth. Solomon came to the conclusion at the end of chapter 2 that life is not worth living. Here's the four reasons that support his theory. One is the monotony of life. Every day, same, 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 same. You get up, you brush your teeth, you take a shower, you go to work, you come home, stressful day. Kids are there, spouse is there. You change clothes, you're too tired. You make supper. Time for bed, time for baths, go to bed, same thing, every single day, the monotony of life. Number two, the vanity of wisdom, how frustrating it is for those that are intellectual to search out wisdom and knowledge only to know ultimately that you'll never be as smart as God. Not everything will always be defined for you. Not everything will always be explained to you. Number three, the futility of wealth. I've often said when I signed up for ministry, I didn't sign up for money or for friends. That's the way it is a lot of times. The futility of wealth. We strive and we strive and we strive. I'm a yard guy. I like my yard to look nice. I want the grass to be green. I want it to be the right height. I like the edge trimmed. I like it all blown off. I don't like weeds. All of the above. The futility of wealth. To accomplish that, I have to spend money. (laughs) That's the reality of life. The water. To make it green costs money. The machinery to keep it up costs money. The time I give costs money. The futility of wealth. All to strive for the things that we desire. And fourth, the certainty of death. How is it that Solomon, at the snapshot of his life, comes to the end of his life at 60 years old and here he stares death right in the face? Think about all that he has truly seen. I mean, just go back, just just for a snapshot, all that he's truly seen in his life. He walked with God. He was close to God. He was a king. He was the wealthiest king. He had all the power and all the knowledge. He had seen it all. He had done it all. Yet death seemed to throw him into depression. Wealth seemed to throw him into depression. Wisdom and the vanity of it seemed to throw him into depression and the monotony of life. How mundane his life must have been to be so knowledgeable and so powerful. See, this to me gives me an excuse to every now and then ask God some questions. (laughs) 
every now and then to throw it up in the air and say, God, I'm not, I'm not quite figuring this out. Why am I so sad? God, I don't feel like smiling today. And a lot of people ask, well, you smile a lot. Why is that? Well, the truth is I don't always feel like it, so I have to. It's a, it's a deal that, it's a sacrifice of praise for me. <laughs> I have to work my way through it. And I'm a pastor. I'm always happy. You have to be. <laughs> That's part of life, right? To have a rough day is all right. You saw a snapshot of Carl. You saw a snapshot of Solomon. Maybe us today. Maybe we've had rough lives. Maybe we've had a season of depression. Maybe we've sampled it a time or two and we find ourselves liking depression, feeling lonely and getting accustomed to it. Maybe addicted to the loneliness and the pity that we have on ourselves. So what's the snapshot of our life? Is it family? For you, maybe it is. Is it family? Is it work? Is it happiness? Is it busyness? Is it full of love and faithfulness or is it full of frustration and disappointment? Are we constantly trying to achieve love so that we feel we've earned our love. You know, we're talking about a love story, and we have a lot of questions in life, and we're a pretty diverse group of people here today. And I assume that all of our questions are different. Your questions aren't like mine, and mine aren't like yours. And, and I have a lot of questions in life. I mean, how loving are we truly? I mean, really loving. How complimentary are we? How affirming are we? How devoted are we? Husbands, wives, moms and dads. How devoted truly are we? How much time do we spend with those we love? And I'm not just talking about time. I'm talking about undivided time. Questions that I often ask myself. What do we do when God, who has the last word, and we know that, doesn't deliver the word that we'd like to hear? What do we do at that very moment? How do we react? What do we do when God's plans are not what we thought he had planned for us? What do we do When we get so busy in life that our dreams seem to fade, our goals seem to fall to the side, how do we react then? How do we react in the morning when we've abandoned the new mercies that the Bible says we have and the newfound joy that our Heavenly Father has given to us and we've replaced it with the same routine day after day, the same worries, the same guilt, and the same struggles that we constantly pick up before we ever get out the door? What do we do? How do we react with that? When life begins to kick our tail every single day. You're a good person. I'm a good person. But I'm asking myself a lot of questions because Carl was a good person. You can't get any better than a balloon salesman. (laughs) That's a good person. An honest man. But when the automobile breaks down, when the house breaks down, when medical bills come, when you want to have a baby and you end up with none or you end up with more than what you planned, what do you do then? When life kicks in, how do you do that? How do you handle that? Because before you know it, your dreams fall to the side. Where are those days? You remember those days when you gave your life to the Lord? Remember how freeing? Do you remember those days when you enjoyed worship? Do you remember those days when you were hungry for the Word of God? Do you remember those days when you struggled because you didn't do your devotions in the morning? Where are those days? I mean, I'm I'm talking about feelings and I'm preaching, if not to you, to myself because I've walked through a season of life sometimes not feeling. Sometimes we're good at going through life. Have you ever realized that you work so that you can work? You work so that you can drive a car to work? (laughs) 
You work just to keep up with your house, and it's a vicious cycle in life. I mean, that's what Carl went through. That's what Solomon went through. That's what we go through. Life. Life's emotions, being a father, being a mama, being a loving son, being a loving daughter, a friend, a best friend, a lover, a teacher, a husband, a wife, a communicator of the gospel, if not by words, then by our life. How do we react when just like Carl, the dream falls away and we struggle because we weren't the dreamer? What then? This is about breaking the mundane in our lives. Living without the lackadaisical attitudes that come over time. And and I'm not just talking about doing away with the languid culture that God has wired you with. I'm talking about the stresses of work, the stresses of family, stresses of children and of spouses and of mistaken steps in your life and unreached goals and potential and ungrabbed dreams and all the handful of opportunities missed simply because of the lack of passion for life, the lack of understanding the liberty that we have in this great nation and missing out on the lover of our soul, Jesus Christ. Something I've noticed in my own life. My expectations for God oftentimes never match up to my experiences with him. Case in point. I, I truly believe that he has the best for me, but I often don't give him my best. So my expectations and my realities don't seem to line up. Does that make sense? A lot of times in life, I, I want, want, want the best, but I'm afraid to give, give, give my all. You see what I'm saying? And, and in marriage, a lot of times we have, it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act, right? And uh, you have, you have, the husband or the, or the wife or vice versa. And, and one is all in and one is reserved. That's the beauty of marriage. I'm not talking about opposites attracting. I'm talking about balancing. The older I get, the more I cling to things. I notice that. The less risk I take. I got married when I was 28. I married a 19-year-old girl. God had placed her on my heart and in my mind in Namibia, South Africa, while I was walking on the beach doing an early morning devotion. I knew her. I came home, asked her if she'd go for a walk on a high school track that was next to her house, and two hours later, I said, you know what? God placed you on my heart. I think it's time we ought to get married. No premarital counseling. We didn't need it because God was in it. (laughs) Young love. What a good time we had, figuring life out together, getting up in the middle of the night and going eating if we wanted to, walking in the rain if we wanted to. But the older I get, I'm close to 39, I'm 38 now, getting ready to be 39, and I notice it's just a matter of one word differences in our sentences. You say, what do you mean? I I mean like this, hey, don't do that. You're going to get wet if you jump in that puddle. Where she says, hey, do that. You're going to get wet. You you see what I'm saying? It's a difference. The the older I get, fellas, I know you you know what I'm saying. I'm holding on to the risk. Hey, don't do that. You're going to get messy. Hey, let's do that. We're going to get messy. It's a different, it's a balancing act in life and in marriage. And you see that with Carl and with Ellie. Ellie was the go, 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 go. Let's do it. We're living the dream. Why Carl 
was sitting there thinking, but I'm living for the dream. I'm trying to achieve it. And he kept looking at the picture on the mantle and, the, and he was working hard to get to it. All the while, Ellie was saying, no, I'm living the dream with you. So in our lives, we fall short oftentimes and we want the best from God, but it's rare we give the best to God. Or another case in point, here's one. We want our families to know Christ, but we can't sit through Thanksgiving supper long enough to show them Christ. Good example. That's a case in point. Here's another one. We want attention from our spouse, yet we struggle to give attention to our spouse. You see how it doesn't always match up in our lives. A lot of us are unwillingly and willingly on a path towards mediocrity and average. I find myself, off, I find myself there often. When we were never made to be average, most of us are content with simply surviving this world when God hasn't called us to survive. He called us to change the world. So a man walks into a restaurant, stands on a chair, lifts his hands up, and he says, anybody in here, come on up here because I can whoop you. Come on. Nobody says a word. So he lifts his hands a little higher, and he said, I said, anybody in this restaurant, come on. I'll whip you. Nobody says anything. So he takes another chair and he stacks it on top so he's a little bit higher and he lifts his hands a little bit higher and he says, I said, if there's anybody in this town, come on down, let me whip you. Nothing. So he pulls out his stool, does away with the chairs, it's a little bit higher, stands up as strong as he can on his tippy toes, lifts his hands and says, anybody in this state, bring it. I'm right here, let me whip you. Nothing. So he does the ultimate. He does away with all the chairs, all the stools. He gets a ladder, climbs up on the roof, stands on top of the restaurant, shouts it out as loud as he can. Anybody in this country, come on down and let me whip you. I know I can. Here comes a guy, gets a ladder, walks up, hits him one time. The guy falls out, knocked out. (laughs) He opens his eyes and he wakes up and he says, well, I guess I took in too much territory, didn't I? I think that happens in our life. I think a lot of times that we allow the devil to take too much territory. We don't say anything. We don't say anything. We don't say anything. You just see what I'm saying? We let him come in and we let him sneak in. And he sneaks in in the mundane. He sneaks in in the monotony. He sneaks in in our everyday lives. And and, and I'll be honest, it's very normative for me uh, to take the lashing of mediocrity and the agony of the mundane and the vicious cycle of ordinary life only to get home where your love is on full display in your spouse and in your children, only for them to hear you say, no, I'm too tired today. No, let dad rest. No, I don't have time. Let mama, I've got to, just let me close my eyes a little bit. I've got to do the laundry. No, I can't play right now. Hi, 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 hey, good to see you. I love you. Mama, will you play with me? Daddy, will you play with me? I'm tired today. I've had a stressful day. And that's what we saw in Carl, life. Hospital bills, sickness, home repair, vehicle breaks down. You decide to have a child. All of those things come into play and life kicks in. And the problem is that when life kicks in, our dreams are kicked out. That's what happens. It's happened in my life. It's happened in your life. Those dreams that you set on the mantle to always look at and say, this is what God has called me to do. We end up because of life and the mundane kicking those things out. Throughout the movie, whenever Carl gets to the stuff I'm going to do. Remember at the the beginning, Ellie had a book. It was her, her adventure book. Remember that? Stuff I'm going to do. And she flips through some pages and there's pictures right there. And then all of a sudden she gets to what? A bunch of blank pages and she flows through and she says, these are the things I'm going to do. 
I think we've all had a list of things we were going to do. I think we've all had a list of what our marriage was going to be, of what our kids were going to be like, all the fun things that we were going to do with our children, with our grandchildren, with our friends, the risks that we would take because it didn't matter if we had money or no money. We had fun. (laughs) We had God and we had life and we had his Holy Spirit to guide us and, and no harm could come against us. We were living life and loving it, but life kicked in. And the dreams were kicked out. Every time that Carl would break out the book after Ellie passed away, he would look at those pages and as soon as it got to the unfulfilled dreams, he would slam it shut. And I challenge you today, just like I've challenged myself over the last few seasons of my life, on and off again, How many times do we look at those pages and those blank pages and we close the book? Maybe it's a lack of emotion. Maybe it's a lack of willpower. Maybe it's a lack of finances. Whatever you want to blame it on, I blame it on the lack of God and the lack of his strength in our lives. Yeah, we're tired. Yeah, we're broke. (laughs) Yeah, we struggle from day to day. but we're closing the book. And husbands, I want to talk to you just for a second. And dads, some of us are closing the book on our kids. Some of us are closing the book on our wives. Some of us are closing the book on our work. And I assure you, you've closed the book on God. And at the very end, you have closed the book on yourself. Our dreams are gone at times because dreams are empty without the dreamer. So when Carl snapshot, his wife passed away. And that may be a reality for some of us here today. But for also for a lot of us, our spouse might as well have passed away. It's unfortunate. It's sad. It's depressing. But we closed that book long ago. We don't feel anymore. We don't laugh anymore. We don't share anymore. We don't experience life anymore. We've closed the book. And who's the byproduct of closing the book? Our kids. The snapshot of Carl's life that you didn't see is a little boy named Russell. That's as annoying as all crud. He just (laughs) as annoying as can be. And Russell is striving to earn his merit badges as a scout. And he runs into a grumpy, old, decrepit, frustrating, mean old man in Carl because the dream had gone on without him and he felt like he hadn't fulfilled his lifelong achievement. And that was just to get to Paradise Falls with Ellie. So I'm going to ask you just for a second to take Paradise Falls and replace it with happiness. Take Paradise Falls and replace it with joy. Take Paradise Falls and replace it with new mercies. A lot of us walk through life forgetting that we have new mercies every single day. But what we do is we get up in the morning and we carry out the same guilt that we walked in with. And it's frustrating not only to us, but it's frustrating to our families. It's frustrating to our friends. We think we're coasting through, but we're not. This isn't an age thing. 
We have young, we have old, we have middle-aged. Solomon lived to be 60. He had lived experiences and trials and battles fought and difficult decisions made and still had come to a difficult decision at his very end that life was not worth living. See, Carl had been living for the dream, but Ellie was living the dream with him. So often we always live for that one day instead of living for today. And, and I think that part of the answer of life is living without fear of tomorrow and, and forgetting what happened yesterday. That's a tough one. I struggle with that personally. I have regrets from my past I wish had never happened. And those regrets from my past keep me from stepping into what's going to happen tomorrow. The devil has it easy. He doesn't have to worry about my present. He, he messes with my past and my future. He doesn't have to touch my present. I've messed it up already by myself. Don't shut the book on stuff you're going to do. Now, chapters 3 through 10 in Ecclesiastes, Solomon began to review his arguments and he slowly begins to bring God into his own snapshot in his own depression. He's what I like to call a speak thinker. If you are a man, more than likely you are a speak thinker. You speak first, think second. <laughs> she knows. If you're a speak thinker, there's a good chance you are a speak listener as well. Part of our makeup. By reviewing his own words, reflections, and thoughts, he began to realize that life wasn't monotonous as he thought, but filled with challenging situations from God and for a purpose. Also, wealth. Remember all those things that he struggled with, the mundane life, uh, the futility of wealth, and, and, and the vanity of, of wisdom, and, and the certainty of death, those areas that he really struggled with. Well, wealth, it could be enjoyed after all, and it also could be employed for the glory of God. And though man's wisdom could never explain everything, it was better to follow God's wisdom than man's folly, he says. And lastly, death. Though unescapable, the realization of it should catapult us and motivate us into enjoying life and all its opportunities. Have you ever embraced something you were scared of? It's tough. I'll be honest, it's tough. I recently, Jill and I went to Mexico and uh, it was a quick getaway and uh, we had the best time ever except for one area of my life that, that, I, that I'm scared of and first public admission of it, I, I don't like deep water. And uh, um, we were on a beach. I'm fine with a beach. We were by the pool. I'm fine with the pool. I'm especially fine with the buffets. I'm fine with all of that. <laughs> Where I'm not fine is in deep water. And Jill wanted to go snorkeling and, and being the good husband and chasing after dreams, that's what I did. And so we went snorkeling. And you're like, why are you scared of snorkeling? You're on top of the water. It doesn't matter. You can, you, can, you can know something, but your mind will trick you. You know what I'm saying? I knew I was on top of the water. I knew I had a breathing apparatus. That didn't really matter either. All I knew is the death that was looking me in the eye. It was scary. <laughs> death is unescapable. The Bible says that it's appointed to man wants to die. It's unescapable. So you know it's there, so why not live today? Why not embrace all that God has for us today? Why not embrace his love? Why not embrace everything, the mercies, the grace, the joy, the treasures that we have in our children? 
treasures and the assets we have in our homes and in our families. Embrace it all. Yes, it's rough. At times, it's super difficult. It's wearing and it's taxing and it requires a lot of patience. Embrace it. You signed up for it. You did adult things, so enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? Grab hold of life and all that it has and all of its splendor and all that he's created. At the end of Ecclesiastes, we start to see that Solomon has done a complete 180. And so we start to see a change of heart and a change in purpose. And then he asks his listeners this. Remember at the beginning, he said, I am the preacher. Okay, that's what he said. I am the preacher. So he had listeners. So he began to admonish them and tell them this. I want you to do four things. I want you to look up. I want you to look within. I want you to look ahead. Then I want you to look around. So I'm going to challenge you today to do the same thing. If you're struggling in your life, if you're, if you're struggling in the mundane and the monotony that just keeps going over and over and over again and the same routine and you've lost the joy of the Lord and you've lost the love of your spouse and you've lost the, 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 the excitement of your children when you get home and work has you taxed down and work has you stressed out and you find yourself going to bed in spite of your spouse. You find yourselves going in, and working in the garage to get away. You find yourselves slowing down to get home from work because of the company. And I don't know how else to talk to you except being very real, but maybe you are older and you have been in a a relationship a long time, but something's just not there anymore. It was there and you've kind of decided to let's just agree to disagree on life. Why don't you figure out if it was that easy, you can figure out how to agree again. I believe that. I believe that you can love again. I believe that you'll get through. I asked my brother, or he asked me whenever I was uh, married. Uh, again, I got married at 28, and Jill was 19. And, and after a few years, he said, when are you having kids? I said, when, whenever we have money. He said, then you'll never have kids. <laughs> Amen to that one. <laughs> like little leeches that just suck it all out of you. <laughs> I'm asking you this morning to look up. Look up, look within, look ahead and look around. Look up because God loves you. Look within because you are better than you think you are in him. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, it dwells in who? Me. Look up, look within, look ahead. Jeremiah 29, he has a plan to prosper you. Don't find yourself weighing down and and, and laying in bed, struggling to get out of bed every morning because you don't have a plan anymore. Or your dream died when the dreamer died. Or your dream died when you got divorced. Or your dream died. It doesn't matter anymore. God loves you. He has a plan for you. A plan to prosper you. Not to harm you. God didn't harm you. We harm us. (laughs) We do this. Look up, look within, look ahead, and look around because life is not that bad. And you'll find yourself in a moment and in a season of depression, grumpy, bitter, old, and alone. And an annoying little kid named Russell will come up and give you the joy that you lacked. In Solomon's final conclusion and personal application, he presents four pictures of life and attaches each picture to practical admonition for the readers to heed. Four things. Let me tell you, life's an adventure. So live by faith. 
Life is a gift, so enjoy it. Life is a school, so learn your lessons. And life is a stewardship, so fear God. My goal, my dream, since I was 14 years old and called into ministry in Stillwell, Oklahoma, at a family camp, was to make the name of the Lord famous. And I want to see the gospel live out in my life, my children's life, my children's children, my neighbors, my neighbor's children, my coworkers, my friends, my family, everybody I come in contact with. And it's not because I scream it. It's not because I shout it because I probably won't. But I promise you, I will pray. And my goal is that I live it. You want to know why I smile? Because Jesus lives in me. Because it could be worse. Balcony, it could be worse. Floor, it could be worse. My dream is that everybody starts to live it. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. If you would, just for a second. Maybe you're holding on to your spouse's hand if you are perfect. Maybe you came alone if you are perfect. Maybe you are under the age of 50. Absolutely great. Maybe you are older than 50. Spot on. Maybe you walked in here with struggles and with trials and with tribulation and, and a weight that no one even knows, not even your spouse. Maybe your dream has absolutely been lost and is gone and you can't find it anymore. And the mundane and the, and the, and the everyday and average has conquered your very soul. God hasn't called us to be average. He hasn't called us to be average. I'm the only one standing today. And it's on purpose. I come to the end of this message and I stand in front of you wanting to take my first step out of average and mediocrity and into my goals and my dreams and the plans that he has for me. And I'm not going to do it in spite of my family or in spite of my spouse or without them. I'm going to do it with them because that's what I signed on for. I'm going to find a way to get to him. I'm going to find a way to relook at everything that he's given me and with fresh eyes say, thank you, God. No, it's not perfect, but I'm not perfect, but I serve a perfect king. I serve a perfect savior. So I'm standing first today. And this is a real challenge to you. I'm going to ask you if you're ready to take that first step back to your dream. Again, it may be a shocker to those around you, Come on, it doesn't matter this morning. You're ready to take that first step back to your dream in life. Stand with me. I'm standing first. Just stand. Wherever you are, you're ready to take that step again. Maybe you've struggled. It's all right. That's it. Think about it. Figure it out right now. No one's around. The lights are even dim for you. You're ready to take that first step back into your dream. You say, Bear, I've shut that book. Open that book back up. Find those blank pages. Start to fill them out. To make his name famous so that his gospel will live forever. That's our plan. So that our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors and our friends will know the gospel of Christ. Bear, you don't understand. I've sunk so low. I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't have to get it. He gets it. You say, my friends walked away from you. He never walked away from you. 
My family's not there for me anymore. He is there for you right now. Thank you, God. But I want you to live forever. That's all I want. And if I can't say it, then I want to show it. He's here for you today. Father in heaven, there is nobody like you. Or you have given us dreams that we have figured out how to squander. You have given us dreams and goals that we figured out how to lose. You have given us ideas and hopes, Lord, that we have lost sight of completely. And for that, we are terribly sorry. But today, today, Lord, July the 28th, 2013, we're not sad anymore. In fact, we're excited that you have given us an opportunity to start all over again opening that book back up and finding those pages and loving you and loving our wife and loving our kids and loving our job. We'll find joy in everything we do. And when people ask why you're smiling, because you live in our heart. We praise you, almighty God. We thank you. We thank you that nothing compares to you. Lord, we thank you for the snapshot of Carl. We thank you for the snapshot of Solomon. And we thank you that we were reflective enough today to take a snapshot of our own life and say, it needs changed. So, Lord, we commit to you today a changed life. We repent of the junk and the sin in our life, and we ask that you take control of our heart, take control of our mind, take control of our body and our actions. We're yours, Lord, and we love you. We praise you. And everyone said amen. 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 Come on, let's all stand together. Amen. Amen.